0: We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Shauna has a challenge for you, my friend.
1: I do indeed. So it's November, which means Thanksgiving is just around the corner. What do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Do you have like the traditional turkey stuffing, corn, green beans? What's your Thanksgiving spiel? Yes. Yes, all the things? Yeah, you that's do Cranberry we do. sauce?
0: Last year was very different because of COVID. Oh yeah. I can't even remember what we did for Thanksgiving this last cr- Thanksgiving. Last year.
1: <laughs> Do you have a specific part of the Thanksgiving meal that you look forward to every year?
0: Just What is there not to look forward to? All of it? Yeah. All I mean it. pumpkin pie with mm-hmm. with whipped cream, pecan pie if there's pecan pie, man, bring that on.
1: Oh yeah, with ice cream a la mode for sure. Do you have your pecan pie a la mode?
0: No. Nope. Ugh. Don't need ice cream. Not an ice cream fan. Don't love need it. ice cream. What? Yeah. Don't care about ice cream. I am
1: offended personally. Do no, not No, I care. love ice cream. Except
0: for a hot fudge sundae. Now there's there's the right there's combo. some good ice cream. Yeah.
1: Okay. When it comes to Thanksgiving, I think that all the food is good, but I only have stuffing that one day every year. And so that's kind of a highlight mm. for me is the stuffing.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true for that's me too. Maybe at maybe Christmas as well, two times a year. <laughs>
1: Yes, but in November, we do start to, what we do at our, before we have our big meal, is we gather around in a circle and we all share what we're thankful for. And I think our minds kind of start to think that way early November. You know, we know it's Thanksgiving month and we put a little extra effort into thinking about the things that we're grateful for. But I wonder what would happen if, along with adding thankfulness to the month, we stop complaining that as we prepare for that big feast, we decide to fast abstaining from complaining is what I'm calling it for the entire month of November. So you talk a lot about stopping you know, thought patterns, right? So here's how this would go down when those negative thoughts start to kind of come up in your brain and make their way and you're about ready to say something, just stop. Interrupt that thought, that negative thought and turn it into a prayer of Thanksgiving. Actually flip that thing upside down and instead of complaining, say something positive and good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play Settlers of Catan in the month of November.
0: Oh, you, so how do you end up complaining with Settlers?
1: Oh, my gosh. How do you not complain when you're playing Settlers? If you've never played this game, you have to roll dice. And then where, depending on how the dice land determines whether you get to pick up resources or not. And you have to collect resources, very specific resources to purchase <laughs> certain things. And ah, oh, yesterday, I just was like, maybe it was because it was October 31 and I knew I was starting the abstaining from complaining on November 1, but I was just so whiny and complaining during Settlers of Catan yesterday. It was awful.
0: Okay, so this is where the 2190 rule comes in. So it takes 21 days to make a habit and 90 days to make a permanent lifestyle change. So if, if you do this for the whole month of November and then you add December and January... It's probably going to be pretty much a habit not to complain.
1: Yeah, be a whole new you. Okay, so here's what I'm doing. I'm diving into abstaining from complaining from now through the end of the month. And I want you to join me. Here's what I'll do for you. I promise you, I will be honest about the journey. I will share with you the good days and the bad days. And if you want to join me, I will encourage you along the way as you do this as well. And you can encourage me too. We'll be in it together. So if you want to join abstaining from complaining in the month of November, just text the word challenge to 800 968 8930, and I will I will regularly connect with you and encourage you along the way. So just text word challenged 800 968 8930.
0: Now, if I do get in this, I'll be in it to win it.
1: <laughs> no complaining if you lose, <laughs> though.
0: One of the amazing professions of your and my faith is that Jesus is Lord. And so that begs the question, what do we mean when we are saying Jesus is Lord? Well, Paul says in Galatians, actually Colossians. Oh, I combined Galatians and Colossians. (laughs) I created a new book of the Bible, Colossians. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, Since you received Christ Jesus as Lord, as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Jesus is not just a great moral teacher. He's not just a great prophet as Islam teaches. He's not the spirit brother of Lucifer as the Mormons claim. He's not the archangel Michael as Jehovah witnesses claim. He's not one among many gods as the Hindus claim. He's not a myth As the postmoderns claim, he's the Lord, the Word of God who became a human being. He said, Before Abraham was born, I am. He said, I and the Father are one, making him and the Father equal. He went around telling people that their sins were forgiven. He accepted worship. He's God. So don't let go of what you know to be true about Jesus. Don't let anybody lead you astray. If anybody preaches a different Jesus, don't believe it. Now, don't get nasty, because that would betray the whole idea that Jesus is your Lord. Be kind and gracious and have gentleness and respect, but hold on to the truth that Jesus is not a mere man. He is fully human, but he's the Lord, I tell you.
1: The, you know, the reality that, that Jesus is God— is, you know, that he is above all things, right? But when you make Jesus Lord of your life, that means he is above all things in my life, not just above all things, like it's a generic statement out there of who he is, but now how it impacts me personally. And I really like how Eugene Peterson wrote out this, the scripture in Colossians. Yeah. It says, "Um, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the master, now live him you're deeply rooted in him you're well constructed upon him you know your way around the faith now do what you've been taught school's out quit studying the subject start living it and let your living spill over into thanksgiving
0: mm.
1: not good it's yeah. so much more than just knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is it's it's how that knowledge impacts how i go about my everyday life, the conversations I have, what I allow to think in my brain, the thoughts that I allow to stay and ruminate and entertain versus the ones that I dismiss because of what who Jesus is and he's Lord of my life. Yeah. He rules and reigns, not my own desires, but his.
0: And what I hear you saying is that, you know, Jesus as Lord can't be just an academic, an academic exercise for me. It has to work itself out into my life.
1: Yeah yeah for others to be able to see mm-hmm. the Jesus who is Lord, the Jesus who we love and who we serve, there should be tangible expressions of Jesus in our lives every day.
0: Yeah, which brings to mind a question can people can people around me see that Jesus is my Lord? Can they recognize that? And it's a good question for me, it's a good question for you. I would just say, don't quit you know studying. Jesus, don't quit plumbing the depths of who he is. For sure. And, and you're not saying that, nor is Eugene Peterson. But he's just saying, as you continue to plumb the depths of who Jesus is, l- that that's how it works itself out in your life. As you see him with the eyes of faith, it's going to impact how we live.
1: I think what Eugene Peterson is saying here by the, you know, school's out, quit studying kind of thing It reminds me of a really good friend of mine who says, Shauna, you just, you measure and then you measure again, you know, and then you get down to eye level and you measure. He's like, you just got to pour, like you just got to dump. Sometimes I think in the faith we're studying, 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 and it's like, okay, live it, go ahead and, and walk into that. Mm -hmm. Let it be the expression of your life. It's time to, it's time to go for it.
0: Yeah, if Jesus is your Lord, then we can ask ourselves this question. How am I going to, what's one way I'm going to live that out today? What is one step I'm going to take today? Because Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's my King. He's my master. He calls the shots. I'm following him. What's one way I'm going to take a step today into that? The short story, The Great Stone Face, maybe you've read it. A young boy stares at the face carved in granite on the mountain, and he often asks tourists if they know who that face is, but no one does. Into manhood, midlife, and old age, he keeps gazing on the face at every chance he gets. Then one day, a tourist passing through exclaims to the once young boy, who's now a weather-beaten old man, "'You are the face on the mountain!' we become what we intently look at, which reminds me of Jesus' words, you know, where your treasure is. Where my treasure is, that's where my heart will also be. I think, you know, this story about the boy gazing at the face of the mountain and then becoming the face, this is what Paul is getting at, I believe, in 2 Corinthians 3 and in Second Corinthians 4. First, in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, when we gaze on the Lord's glory... We are transformed into his image. And in 2 Corinthians 4, God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So put together, as far as I can tell, this is what Paul is saying. God has shown his light into your heart so that you can see that Jesus is no mere man. You can see he's the lord. And the more and more we look at Jesus, the more and more we become like him. Until one day somebody's going to say to you, "You, my friend are the face of Jesus."
1: That's that's our heart's desire, right? I mean, that's the goal that people would see Jesus in the way that we live our ordinary everyday lives that they would have encounters with us that just look different from the way the world does things and cause them to consider, "Where's that coming from?"
0: And I think kindness really shines through the face of Jesus, because we don't see a lot of kindness today. Which begs the question, how do we gaze intently on Jesus and become like him? Here's what I believe. We plumb the depths of who Jesus is in God's word, and as we do, the Holy Spirit reveals more and more of the glory of who Jesus is, and at the same time, transforms us into his likeness. As I keep coming back to what I'm discovering about Jesus in God's word in the Hebrew scriptures in the New Testament, the Spirit is helping me see more and more of Jesus' beauty and is slowly making me more like him. So let's look at Jesus for a few moments here and so become like him. I'm going to go through a number of passages, and I'd be happy to send you this because we're going to move through this. And it's something that I can send to you that you can just meditate on. So first of all, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman who has crushed the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15, God said to the serpent after he caused Adam and Eve to fall, one day a rescuer will be born who will undo the evil you have caused. So right there at the beginning, in the disaster of the fall, there's the promise of Jesus as the seed of the woman. Then Jesus is the Word of God in human flesh. Wow. The Word that spoke the universe into existence, that spoke that beautiful moon into existence that we can look at this morning, became a human being. The Word of God became a human. It's staggering. It blows my mind.
1: Uh, Yeah. This is one of those mysteries that's hard to get your mind around. And, and this is the mystery too involved in reading scripture. When we open up the word of God and we read the word of God, we're not just, it's not just page and ink. Mm. We're encountering an individual and that's, it's so mysterious. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to put, put a finger on that.
0: Well, it's the, it's the work of the spirit. It's the spirit revealing Christ to us. All right. Here's another one. Jesus is David's son and David's Lord. He's a descendant of David, but he's also David's Lord. So the people of Jesus' time were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for David's son. They knew that promise, but they didn't realize the hints were there in the Hebrew scriptures, but they didn't realize that David's son would also be the Lord, David's Lord. I just think that's so awesome to just meditate on, just think on, just gaze on that truth and let it change me. And then he's the son of man. Son of man was Jesus' favorite self-description. And it comes from Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Maybe you know this. In my vision at night, Daniel said, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When Jesus called himself the Son of Man he was referring to himself as this glorious person described in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And, you know, again, the the Jews of Jesus' time were expecting the Messiah to come, but they were not expecting that the Messiah would be the glorious Son of Man of Daniel 7. And then Jesus is the great I Am, God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Remember, God said, I am who I am. Well, 1,600 years later, Jesus said to the religious leaders who hated him, before Abraham was born, I am. And there's so many I am statements of Jesus equating himself, connecting himself with the Yahweh of the Hebrew scriptures. Again, gazing at at Christ, the glory of Christ, seeing him for who he is and being changed into his image. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, who was crushed for our sins. I wonder, the last time you read Isaiah 53, it's all about Jesus. He's the crucified Passover lamb whose blood has caused the angel of death to pass over us. I'm so grateful that I can be inside my house with the blood of the lamb on the doorframes of my house and that the angel of death has passed over and that I'm safe and that I'm forgiven. He's the risen Lord who said to Thomas, put your hand in my side. He's our reigning king whose face is blinding light. He is awesome. You know, in the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John were there, and Jesus was transfigured into his glory, the glory that he had before he came to earth. And he was just this blinding light, this pillar of light. And that's our reigning king. He's our great high priest who prays for us perfect prayers. This is what Jesus is praying for you right now. This is what he says I'm praying for you my daughter. I'm praying for you, my child, that your faith will not fail, that the good work that I've begun in you will be carried on to completion. And he's our coming redeemer. And his coming will be the beginning of the real story, which no one on earth can tell, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. So I've gone through a bunch of passages about Jesus, who he is, his glory. If you'd like this, just text me 800-968-8930, 800-968-8930.
1: I think a lot of times our understanding of who Jesus is is so limited. If we're only looking at certain scriptures and we're not reading the Bible in its entirety, we could just get a very limited perspective. If we're not in the Bible at all and we just get to hear what our pastor tells us about on Sunday morning or, you know, we have a very limited view, but to gaze upon his face is to, and to see him rightly for who he is, is as best we can to see him in his fullness.
0: And he's the center of the Bible and every every book of the Bible points to him. The story is all about Jesus. And so it's really cool to go through the whole thing mm-hmm. and and see him showing up in, in the many different places So I pray that as you look intently at the glory of Jesus, that he will become even more glorious so that more and more of his glory will break out of you until the day when you see him in glory and are just like him. And when you are just like him, this is what you're going to be, a perfect expression of the blinding brilliance of God.
1: talking this week about meeting the real Jesus, encountering who he truly is. And the Bible is just full of stories of different people who met with Jesus and had an encounter. And one of my favorites is a conversation that happened between Jesus and a woman at the well. And I think that you can first glance at this story and you might just miss how incredible this encounter was and what it means for you and me. I really believe that Jesus's message and his heart for her was, I see you and I love you and you matter. So a couple of things that are important about this conversation is just knowing how much her gender played into the whole thing. So here's this woman and at the time women had very little value. They weren't allowed to vote. Their testimony wasn't worth anything in a court of law. It was actually against the law for a man to educate a woman and a devout Jewish man would never allow himself to be alone with a woman for fear of his own like animalistic desires and how he might behave with a woman but also for fear of gossip and what other people would say if he was alone with a woman rabbis actually prayed and thanked god that they were not women the if a devout jewish man was out on the street in public and passed his wife he would not acknowledge her he wouldn't even address her in public this was just normal for them and jesus he was on his way um You know, he passed through Samaria intentionally, but he also sent his disciples on ahead of him. He said, go on into town and get some food. So he set up a personal one-on-one encounter with a woman in a day and age where that was just like not done. So it's important to pay attention to her gender. But the other thing is the fact that she's a Samaritan. You have to understand what was going on between the Jews and the Samaritans to understand the impact of of that element of the story. So about 700 years earlier, the Assyrians had attacked the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, and taken them captive, and then they intermarried with them. And so their descendants were what we now know as the Samaritans. So the southern kingdom, they were the Puritans, right? They were the (laughs) untouched uh, uh, portion of the Jewish people, and they considered the Samaritans to be these impure half-breeds. So the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans, they worshiped God, but they weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem to worship. So they worshiped in a temple that they built in Gerizim. And then they kind of eh, adapted the scripture, if you will, to match the location where they were worshiping. So the Jewish travelers did everything that they could to go around Samaria on their way to Galilee because they didn't want to come in contact with any of these Samaritans. But here again, we see that Jesus chose to go through Samaria. Scripture says he had to go through Samaria. And I think that's because there was someone there that he had to meet. It was this Samaritan woman. And so Jesus not only had a private conversation with her, he also asked her to share water with him, which at that time would make him unclean and would cost him greatly the lengths he would have to go to, to, to be made right again and to be clean again. And we also see that in that he starts to talk to her about spiritual matters and he starts to teach her, which I told you earlier was illegal. So we haven't even talked yet about her practices, her status, her reputation, right? She was a woman who had been married several times and that came, you know, had a negative negative connotation with it and and caused people to look down on her for her life experiences.
0: And that's why she was coming to the well when she did. That's right. because no, no one else was there at this this time during the day because she didn't want to be shamed and, and the the TV series The Chosen it mm. really captures this so beautifully, the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman.
1: Yeah, and it's those things that were all the things that labeled her, all the things that defined her, the things that she felt shameful about. Jesus didn't, you know, those things didn't matter to her. Those things didn't keep him from seeing her as precious and loved. She mattered to Jesus. So, in this really radical encounter with Jesus, everything that society had told her about her, that she was not worth anything, that she was dirty, that she should be ashamed of herself. They didn't impact how Jesus talked to her or the way that he looked at her. He was so kind and he was so respectful and he protected her dignity. He saw her and he valued her for who she was.
0: And the way she responds to, you know, Jesus revealing the deepest shame of her heart that you have been married five times and the man that you're living with now is not your husband, the way Jesus you know, in the whole interchange reacted with her and then brought out the the deepest sins of her heart, made her feel loved, even though it was her sin that he pointed out. He was in that moment saying, I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I am going to point the truth out, but I'm embracing you as someone I love.
1: And I even wonder if, the reason he sent the disciples on ahead was so that he could talk, he could take the conversation to those places and not have her feel ashamed in front of them. Like it was just the two of them and he had nothing but love for her. So there was no shame in that. But Jesus is so, he's just so good at bringing the truth and love into the same space and letting him just intermingle. It's just, it's amazing.
0: I want to be like that.
1: I do too. And the reason this encounter is so important is because we can see that in this encounter, the way that Jesus treated her is the same way that he looks in you and me. He's He's not, um, he's not disgusted by the things that we've done in the past. He's, he doesn't see the labels that other people have put on us. He sees us for who we are, and he values us just the way we are. You matter to Jesus. Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay.
0: To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.